Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Happy Easter. Wow. I just love this time of the year. I love Easter, and my favorite day of all of Easter is Resurrection Sunday, because without the resurrection, the cross would have been meaningless. Mm. And, uh, and in fact, the resurrection is the Father's eternal endorsement of His eternal Son that forever, let it be known, my Son lived the perfect life as a human being on planet Earth. 33 years, according to Hebrews 4.15, says that he was tempted in every way, and every means every, tempted in every way, yet was without sin. And how do we know that that was true? Yes, we know it was true because it's the Word of God, but it's also true because the Father raised his son Jesus from the dead. He couldn't have done that if Jesus had sinned one tiny sin. One person got it. So happy Resurrection Sunday, everybody. And of course, Jesus' resurrection, the, the, the good news, the greatest news of all, and he would agree, I'm quite sure, is that not just Jesus was raised from the dead, but in raising Jesus from the dead, the Father made it possible for all of us to be raised from the dead with him. And spiritually speaking, in the spirit, we have already, those who believe in Jesus have already been resurrected and are already seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, who himself is seated at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians 2 verse 6 tells us that we are already seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. And so our spirit is already fully alive in union with Jesus. 1 Corinthians six seventeen says he was joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Our bodies in this life, even though I know you find it hard to believe that this isn't my resurrected body yet. Um, this is a joke, everybody, okay? Uh, um, our bodies are not yet resurrected. That will take place a split second after Judgment Day, when Jesus, who the Father has appointed by raising him from the dead, Acts 17, when Jesus, as the eternal king, who is the rightful judge of all human beings, will judge each human, including you and me, for everything that we've ever done in our lives. And the moment we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, just for believing in Jesus, not because of anything that we've done, but just for believing in Jesus, we will be united. Our spirit, man, that woman that's already alive fully in him now, we will be united with our new bodies, everybody. A body just like his body that was resurrected from the tomb and is now glorified. We will be glorified like him. And we will be just like him. As he is, we will be just like him. And we'll spend forever and ever in the new heaven that's the new earth in those bodies. And what a glorious, glorious eternal life we will have in him. So, yeah! Oh, Jesus is alive! And we're alive in him. What a great hope. What a gospel. And I'm starting the series uh, today that we're going to be in for about a month on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so um, I want to start this morning. So turn with me to the book of John chapter 3. And I'm going to be preaching on In Christ Jesus this morning. Uh, and I want you to turn with, to, with me to John 3. We're going to read a passage of scripture that's very, very famous. And then I'm going to preach on uh, what it is to be in Christ Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, uh, in John chapter 3, a very, very famous passage where Jesus is speaking to a well-known Pharisee and teacher of the law, a, name, a man by the name of Nicodemus. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, unless a person is born again, born of the Spirit, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And, if, and Nicodemus famously says, 
born again, like what am I supposed to enter my mother's womb and, and, and somehow be born a second time? And, uh, and Jesus gently but firmly rebukes him for his unbelief and helps him to, to understand that Jesus is talking about being born of the Spirit. The moment a person believes in Jesus after the resurrection, every person who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. And so he goes on, verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we've seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. Notice that Jesus, standing in Nicodemus' garden, says to him, I'm in heaven. Pretty cool, hey? And as we shall see, that is now true of us wherever we are. We now can say, we are in heaven, even though we're here on the earth. What would your life look like if that reality, that truth, became a way of life? That you just know that you know that you know that in Christ Jesus... You are in heaven right now, even though you're on the earth, even though you're drinking your favorite latte in your favorite coffee shop, <coughs> Jubala. And um, <laughs> verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I want you to remember that verse because we're going to come back to it as I get into the message. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. This is the most famous verse probably in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that everybody can go to heaven. Is that what it says? No. And you know what? Sadly, there are people that believe in a gospel that is not the gospel where they believe that because Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, the whole world is automatically saved and will all go to heaven. That is called universalism. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Jesus and according to the eternal word of God. Those of you who know there were two thieves that were crucified with Jesus both of them criminals, both of them representing, I believe, the two responses to, to Jesus' death by the entire human race. On the one hand, one thief who refused to believe and Jesus never said a word to him. Another thief crucified on the other side of Jesus, both of them died with Jesus, but that one thief turned to Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He'd already said to his friend, the other thief, you and I deserve to be here, but this man has done no wrong. You can see that the, the, the evidence of Jesus as their savior, even though he was just an oozing piece of hamburger meat, so to speak, just lacerated, torn up, nothing to give away that he's the king of glory and this criminal who has lived such an evil life that the Greek word to describe him means sheer evil devoid of all good. And yet in that condition, dying with his hands nailed so he couldn't do anything, his feet nailed so he couldn't go anywhere for Jesus, and all he does is simply believe in Jesus and entrust himself to a dying man that was dying the same death he died. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, I recognize that you are the savior of the world, that you're the king of an invisible kingdom that's an eternal kingdom, and that you will have the right as the king to decide who does and who does not come in, and that you will remember that all I did was simply believe, and it will be sufficient for me to spend eternity with you. Never read my Bible, never prayed, never fasted, never went to church, never gave any money to the poor, never lived a life that you and I would think deserves heaven. And Jesus says to him, today you will be in, with me in paradise. 
I want you to notice he doesn't say you'll be in paradise. He says you'll be with me in paradise. Who knows? There could be multiple eternal paradises. You'll be in them all as long as you're one with Christ. No, the Bible says very, very clearly right here, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What does that tell me? It tells us all this morning, everybody, that we all died with Christ, but only those who believe in Jesus' death as our Savior, as our King, are raised with him. The whole world died with Christ, but only those who believe were raised with him. That's my personal conviction. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Everybody has the same opportunity of salvation. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he or she who does not believe is condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men and women love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest their deeds should be exposed. Remember this verse. But he who does the truth comes to the light that their deeds may be clearly seen that those deeds have been done in God. Leviticus chapter 11 verse 44 and Leviticus 20 verse 6, both of those verses say, Consecrate yourself therefore and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. And consecrate yourself therefore and be holy as I am holy. When I was a kid growing up, and for much of my adult life, verses like that terrified me. You mean to say, Jesus, when you said be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect, you expect me to be perfect with that level of perfection? When you call me and invite me to be holy, you're inviting me to be holy as you're holy? Are you kidding me? Do you know how much I sin? I'm not like you guys, you know. I got a lot of sin going down still that I have to, if I'm not careful and I take my eyes off the gospel, my sin becomes the snare in my thinking. And I begin to th think that I'm a sinner instead of knowing I'm a son who's a saint. And so... This word holy, one day I decided to tackle it and I studied it and I found out that the word holy means, to my astonishment, means the place of apartness. Nothing to do with behavior, nothing to do with my thinking, although all my thinking and all my behavior is transformed by holiness. Totally transformed. But holy is a person and holy, that person, is a place. And that place is apartness. Apartness. That means nobody else is there. I'd like to call on my, my father, Murray, and I's dad, if he doesn't mind coming on up, please, while I continue to preach. He's going to come and help me. So, we have this amazing reality that God is separate from us. Come on up, dad, please. He's separate from us. He is altogether different to us. We are created. The universe we live in is created. He created it. But he, on the other hand, is uncreated being. What does that mean? It means that he is apart from us. There is an eternal gap between creator and created. Created can never, ever, 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 ever be the creator. To be the creator, you must be the creator. If you're the created, you ain't the creator. And this God who created us, created us in his image. In his image. 
To be created in the image of God means to be created in the image of love because God is love. 1 John 4 verse 8 and 16. For love to be love, he must be Trinity. There must be a lover, there must be a beloved, there must be the love. The lover is always moving to the beloved. The beloved is always moving to the lover. And the love is always eternally flowing from the lover to the beloved. So it turns out that this God, who in the old covenant is revealed as one God, it turns out that this one God actually has a son. So Jonathan, come on up. Okay, that's it. Thank you, Dad. Come forward. Just to, I'll put these chairs back in Okay, so, Jonathan, if you could go behind Dad, that would be great. Turns out that this... You step up next to him. Are you... Are you <laughs> Turns out that this creator, the Ancient of Days... According to Daniel chapter 7 can see where I get my handsome good looks from, can't you? My mother. And, and it turns out that this beautiful, glorious, eternal creator has a son. Lean over and say hi to everybody. Yeah, there he is. He has an eternal son. Not only does he have an eternal son, he has an eternal spirit. Yannon? And so we discover that this eternal creator, the lover, has an eternal beloved and the eternal love himself who flows from the eternal lover to the eternal and so on. Are you guys comfortable being that close? You need a mask? Okay, great. Okay, just to put the audience at ease, especially those watching online. That wasn't a dig at you, by the way. <laughs> All right, now, so there's it. There is movement in love. Love is always moving everybody. The lover is always moving towards his beloved son. And the beloved son is always moving towards the lover. The son is moving to the father, the father to the son. And the spirit of the father, who's the spirit of the son, is the movement between the father and the son. In fact, Roland Baker told me once and has written an amazing thesis on this that the gift of eternal life to us is not just that he's given us Jesus forever and that in Jesus we now have eternal life. No, it's even greater than that, that in giving us all of that, he's given us his very relationship that he's had forever with each other. Oh, come on! And you and I have done nothing for that. <laughs> the very quality of the essence of that relationship has been given to us the moment we believe in Jesus. Okay, now the Bible tells us eternal God who he had invited us to be with, but we couldn't because our sin separated us from him. Why? Because in the beginning he created us, placed us in a garden. In that garden he gave us eternal life as an offer. How do we know? Because he put the tree of life in the middle of the garden, right next to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If Adam and Eve had reached out with their hands and taken of the fruit of the tree of life, they would have eaten it, that fruit would have gone in them, and they would have been instantaneously united with Christ, who is the tree of life, and they would have been born of the Spirit. And they would have been eternal, eternally beautified and eternally redeemed. Unfortunately, they never did that. Instead, they reached out and they took and ate from the tree that the Lord God said, you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because in the day that you eat of that tree, you will, be, you will surely die. Why did God allow that tree to be there? Because God treasures your free will as the greatest gift he gave you. He's looking for lovers to spend eternity with. He will never force you or I who spends 50, 60, 70, 80 years in this world, 90 years, 100, maybe 120 if you're really blessed. Maybe by then we'll have robotic everything and we'll live to 120. I don't know. 
But he would still never force you who lived 120 years on this life to have to spend eternity with him unless you desired it. Just the tiniest bit of desire to say yes to God is all that he looks for. Instead, they reached out and they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When they crunched on that, they swallowed it. It went into them and it became them just like every meal you've ever eaten has become you. You're the sum total of all those meals. Not only that, when they ate it, you and I were in them. We became sin just like they did. When they ate that fruit, of the knowledge of good and evil, they became one with those trees, and the human condition ever since has been that we've all been self-appointed trees of knowledge of good and evil, haven't we? I like them, I don't like them, I hate them, I love them, they're nice, they're terrible. I like that, I don't like that. God, you made me in your image, but I'm gonna make you in my image now. And I don't like the way you are, so here's the deal. From now on, what you call evil, I'm going to start calling good. And what you call good, I'm going to start calling it evil. Why? Because I'm it. And when they did that, they became separated from God. God removed them from access to the tree of life. If they had reached out, I used to think of that moment as a, get out of my sight. Oh, when I think about what I'm going to do with you, I'm going to put a flaming sword between you and the tree of life. But instead it was nail-pierced hands, Jesus waving, I'm sure, Adam, Eve, and all of us in them. Because let's face it, if my dad, Murray's dad, had died when he was three years old of a tragic tricycle accident, we would have died with him. Murray and I wouldn't be alive today. If you think about that logically, you've been alive, preserved for 6,000 years, every generation God made sure was conceived so that you could be sitting here today listening to me. I don't think it was for that reason, by the way. (laughs) Thankfully for a whole lot more reason than that. But nevertheless, the point is, you would not be alive today. So next time you feel discouraged, next time you feel depressed, I'm not belittling that depression, but I'm telling you the antidote to it is begins when you start thanking God that for 6,000 years you've been kept alive through world wars, through bubonic plagues, pandemics, crossing the Atlantic Ocean, you name it. Your forefathers and mothers were kept alive so that you could be alive today. That's worth rejoicing on Easter Sunday right there. Now then, here's the deal. If they had reached out, having become one with the tree of the fruit, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if they'd reached out and eaten from the tree of life, they would have made themselves eternally irredeemable. So God, in his love, put a flaming sword between the tree of life and them in that sinful condition. Why? Because he had a plan. The tree of life would come to them. And in the fullness of time, the Bible tells us, okay, Matt, could you come up here and sit right next to my gorgeous honey right here? Well, in the empty chair that's right there, because there's some belongings on the other chair. So just sit right there. That's great. In the fullness of time, God, the Bible tells us, in Romans 8 verse 3, what the law couldn't do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and he came and dwelt among us. What's the opposite of apartness? Where God is one, three in one, and he's uncreated being, and that's what makes him eternally separate from creation, where he dwells alone in unapproachable light. And you and I, the opposite of that apartness is amongness. Matt is sitting right there representing all of us. He's going to represent us for the rest of this morning's message. And when you see Matt, I want you to think you. And so in the fullness of time, God sent his son. John 1.14 said, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Romans 8 verse 3 said what the law was weak in that it wasn't able to do because it was what the law wasn't able to do because of weak flesh. 
God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to us. So, Jonathan, dad, send Jonathan, please. Born, in a vir- a, conceived in a virgin mother's womb. Born in a manger. Lived for 33 years. And then fulfilled his mission to dwell among us. The ultimate fulfillment of dwelling among is to become one with. So grab hold of Matt and bring him back up here onto the platform, please. Right here, where those two tapes are. Mark there, perfectly, just for me. Not really, but... So Matt, you're here. Put your hands out. And, you, and Jonathan, you're here. Okay. Uh, could you guys scoot over just that way, just a little? There you go. That's it. Right. Now, you guys are going to get really tired if you keep your arms out. Okay. So you have my permission to put them down okay. and put them back up when I need them up. So put them down now. Okay, now put them back up. Well done. Simon says, no. Okay, so here's the deal, right? Put your arms out. The Bible says, cursed is he who's hung on a cross, uh, on a tree. Galatians 3.13. Likening the cross to a tree. And of course, we know the cross was made of wood. So here's the tree of life himself. And he's nailed to the cross. I believe that the cross representationally was symbolic of you and I, the trees of the knowledge of good and evil. And we're going to remember that thought. And as Jesus is hanging on that cross, he's already been lacerated from the top of his head to his feet by the horrible, horrible whipping. And he's opened up every square quarter of an inch of his body's opened up. Why? Because when he was hanging on the cross, he literally, his perfect body was dying. For the first time in all of human history, first time in all of human history, everybody, a perfect man was dying. That had never happened in 6,000 years. You guys, put your hands down. If I go like that, put your hands down. Trust me. By the time we've been here 15, you'll be really tired. So, think about that for just a moment, okay? What was I saying? Yes, for the first time in all of history, a, thank you, Hannah, a perfect man was now dying. And that had never happened before. So his death was the first death that paid for somebody else's sin. Everybody else's death paid for their own sin, including your death if you don't have a savior. But Jesus is your savior. And as he a perfect man on the cross with his flesh torn open, a place was opened up in his dying body, in the spirit, for you to be placed in the Son of God. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, it is by him, God the Father, that you are in Christ Jesus. As Jesus died on the cross, his body, perfect body, became a gigantic vacuum cleaner of all sin. And all of our sin came into him. It is by him, God the Father, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us our wisdom, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, let him who boasts, or she who boasts, boast only in the Lord. Think about that. He vacuumed up Adam, the first Adam, all the way to the last baby that's born, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, paid the price in full with his perfect body and in dying sucked all of our sin into himself and even sucked us into him because you can't separate the sin of man from the man of sin. And so Adam, you and I, We all came in as our sin was drawn into him. We were drawn into him. And this is the most amazing thing. In that moment, okay, having been opened up, he now became so perfectly one with you, 
that he, the Bible describes him as sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What? Are you kidding? Jesus loved you and I so much that he was willing to actually become every single act that we're so full of shame of and that would cause us to spend eternity in hell. Jesus became it at the cross. And he became so completely it that he became both you, the victim of being sinned against for a lifetime. He also became you, the perpetrator of sinning against everybody else. He solved the dilemma of justice by becoming all that you and I are. See, injustice, Proverbs says this, injustice is if a person who did not commit a crime is found guilty of that crime. Injustice is when a person who committed a crime gets away and is never punished. Both of those are the two sides of justice. So how could the cross be justice by the God of justice if the innocent died for the guilty and the guilty went free? The only way is if the innocent was willing to become the guilty one. And that's what happened. Jesus literally took us all into himself and became us and hung there the guilty one. And now, though he himself had never sinned, all of the wrath of God the Father came upon him. Everything that Jesus cried out to the Father, Mark 14, 36, Father, please, please, my Father, if if at all possible, please, Father, take this cup from me. Please, my Father. Oh, my Father, please, please, please. Take this cup from me, my Father, please. Ah, yet not my will be done, but yours. Why was he crying out like that? The Bible tells us, Luke twenty-two forty-four. his blood literally started mingling with his sweat, dripping into the dust, representing us. The mercy in the blood already crying out because mercy triumphs over judgment. And the blood of Jesus, as he cried out and then surrendered his will to the Father, why was he so desperate? It even says in In Mark records him, all things are possible with you, Father. I mean, it must have just torn the Father's heart. All things are possible for you, Father. Please take this cup. Why was he crying out like that? Because the cup of wrath was something so indescribably terrible that nothing that you have ever seen or could ever even imagine compares to it. Because each drop in that cup was what you and I deserve for a lifetime of sin by the created against the creator is the equivalent, I believe, of eternity in hell. And there were billions of drops in that cup and Jesus drank it for six hours. Glug, 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 glug. Everything offered to him he couldn't take because he was drinking an altogether more terrible cup. And he drank it all. And when he said, it is finished, there was not one drop left in that cup, including yours. Your eternity in hell was drunk and swallowed by Jesus. Yeah, you can clap. Yes, we clap. And the the Bible tells us in In Exodus chapter 12, verse 9, Moses was instructed concerning the Passover, which was a type of Jesus. We know that because John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb, the Passover Lamb in ancient Israel was a type to prepare them for the Passover Lamb, Jesus. That if they would eat of Jesus and they would put the blood on the doorway of their life, 
the angel of death would pass over them. When the full Passover was, was properly, properly enacted and Jesus died on Passover. And when, when God gave Moses those instructions, he said, the lamb is not to be eaten raw. It's not to be boiled. You're to roast it. Why was he so specific? Well, I believe it's because of what we, you, you see in, in, in uh, the Moses in the burning bush. You see the bush being filled with fire and burning, but the bush not burned. With Elijah, you see the fire fall on the sacrifice. Everything's burned. The bull, the wood, the stones, and even the water. And both Moses and Elijah appeared on Mount of Transfiguration and were talking with Jesus about his soon departure, meaning the cross, his death. And I believe that both of those men saw the two sides of what it looked like when the, the Passover lamb was roasted alive for six hours. In the wrath and the fire of the Father. And make no mistake, God's wrath is right. He says, you are the apple of my eye. That doesn't mean that he's into apples as opposed to pineapples or bananas. He describes you three times in the word of God as the apple of his eye. And that in, in, in Jewish culture was a euphemism for you're the pupil in my eye. When somebody sinned against you, it's like they stuck me straight in the eye, God says. Now he could have said, you're on my pinky toe and that would have been an honor. But instead, he describes you who are the very center of my fiery eyes of love. Anybody who touches you is going to spend eternity in hell. You're that important to me. Problem is, I'd have to throw you into hell as well. Because you've done the same to all the other pupils of my eye. See, we're way too light on sin, everybody. We need to understand that justice was satisfied. The wrath of a righteous, perfect God against all of his lambs was satisfied in that moment. And the fire fell, and he was roasted. And, the, and Jesus, the tree of life, remained. You and I, the trees of the knowledge of good and evil, done, gone. Now, remember I told you to remember uh, John 3, 14, as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so too when the Son of Man is lifted up, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. What was he talking about, Moses and the serpent? Well, you can find that story in the Old Covenant in, in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, verse 4 to 9. He says, if the Bible says that the ancient Israelites, on their way out of Egypt, they were grumbling yet again, we hate this manna, a type of Jesus, type of Christ, the Messiah, and snakes started coming out of the wilderness, poisonous snakes, and bit them, and thousands of them were dying in the sand. And they cried out to Moses, and Moses cried out to God, and said, God, do something. And God said, no, Moses, you do something. This is what I want you to do. I want you to make a fiery serpent, and put him up on a pole, and whoever looks at that serpent, when they're, when they're um, bitten by a snake, if they look at the serpent, they will live and not die. Wow! And Jesus himself mentions it, quotes it. As Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so too when the summer. Why? Why, everybody? And here's the answer. The Bible says Moses made a serpent of bronze. And sure enough, everybody who looked at it and put it on a pole, everybody who looked at it lived. What a type of the cross. But one day I did a study, I found out from a metallurgist who helped me to understand what bronze actually is. Are you ready for this? Bronze is an alloy of tin and copper melted together in fire becomes one brand new metal, bronze. And once bronze is bronze, it's now forever bronze. You cannot by any physical, biological or chemical means reverse bronze back into tin and copper. Bronze has lost none of its tinness. Bronze has lost none of its copperness. 
But bronze is neither tin nor copper anymore. It's bronze. Come on, let's let that sink in now. And I said to the Lord, Lord, okay, but why didn't you? I understand tin and copper became bronze. The two, you and I became one at the cross. We and you became one at the cross. But why a snake? Why did you ask Moses to lift a snake on a pole? And his answer shook me to the core of my being. I said, why didn't you put a man like a, like a crucifix, Catholic crucifix? Why didn't you ask him to make a man, mold a man, not a snake? He said, because that's what my son looked like when he hung on the cross, when he became you. He so became one with you that in the moment where it is recorded, John 19.30, it is finished. And he bowed his head. He had so become one with us that when he died, we died with him. We were so united with him, so one with him, so buried deep in him now and he in us forever that when he said it is finished, it was impossible for the Father to raise Jesus from the dead three days later without raising you and I from the dead with him. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, when they laid him in the tomb, 2 Timothy 2.11, if we died with him, you better get in there with him, if we died with him, which we did, get close guys, come on now, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we, were, if we died with him, Romans 6.6, 6, then we were also buried with him. If we were buried with him, we were also raised with him. And let me just take a moment, okay? What is important when you're in the tomb, everybody? Exactly. That's it, Jim. There's only one thing that's important when you're in the tomb. I gotta get out of here! That's the only thing that is important. It doesn't matter whether you drove a Porsche or a Ford Focus. It doesn't matter if you wore, if you wore Yves Saint Laurent clothes or rags. It doesn't matter if you were a billionaire or you couldn't scrape two dollars together. It doesn't matter if you went to Harvard or you never went to university at all. It doesn't matter what your accent was. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you were. Nothing matters in the tomb anymore from your former life. There's only one thing. And by the way, we will all be in that tomb. And by the way, you're naked in there. There's only one thing that's important. I got to live. And for three days, that was true of Jesus. And on the third day, the Father sent the Spirit. Let him send you. There you go. Sent the Spirit and he raised Jesus from the dead. And in raising God, come on, come on, don't let me down now. That's it. He grabbed him, grabbed us and raised us from the dead with him. And we're alive, because he's alive. And the Bible, I'm gonna just reshuffle you guys a little. Yannan, if you step just there, look. You're at the right hand of the Father, Jesus. Just stand right in front of him like this. Moses, uh, Matt, I mean. Moses, Matt, just right there on your next to, no, no, just right there, just, just, just right there, just right there, perfect, perfect. Remember I just read John 3, verse 21, every one of your deeds you did in God. Every one of your deeds, you do in God. And that's it. In fact, it's so important, I just want to read it. But he who does the truth, wave to everybody. Matt? Yeah, that's true. You could all wave because everything that Matt does, you do now. 
But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. There you are, that's you. Matt represents us all. In fact, you could say that Matt is now the living headquarters of the Trinity on the earth. You are the living headquarters of the Trinity on the earth. What does that mean? It means when you go to Starbucks, Lord help you, um, when you go to another restaurant, or when you are driving in your car and someone cuts you up, or when you're at home with your wife and your children, or your husband and your children, or whether you're at university in class, in a lecture, or whether you're on Zoom, forever it feels like you're on Zoom in, at school, and you're like, if I have one more Zoom, I because you're done with Zoom. Just remember, everything you do now, you do in God. You are the living headquarters of the Trinity, and nothing is impossible for you. Uh, John, can I borrow you, please? And we're going to end on this. John, could you just uh, stand? Actually, could you just stand just here, please, John? Just here. John has a painful shoulder, and we're going to ask Matt to come and lay hands on John's shoulder. So, Matt, would you please... Whoa, 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 whoa. Get tight, guys. Nice and tight. Matt, would you please come and lay hands on John's shoulder? Yeah, you see? Everywhere you go, you bring God. Because you're in God. You are irreversibly inseparable from God now. You are one with Christ in the Father, by the Spirit, forever. And so now, when, um, let's, let's, let's do this again. When Matt puts his hand on John's shoulder, the Holy Spirit's hand's already touched him. Jesus' hand is one with Matt's, and Big Daddy's hand is right there. Listen. When you have this mindset, you begin to start to move in the spirit on a whole nother level of fruitfulness. Because it's not about you. It's all about the one you live in and the one you carry. Amen? You, may, you can do that. Thank you, guys. Let's give them all a big hand, especially my dad. Thank you, dad. Brilliant, everybody. Let's stand. Let's stand. Good job. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that where we go, you go. Where you go, we go. And just take a moment and just begin to thank the Lord because that's what he's done for you. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you that you were willing to go to such great lengths for us. The Bible tells us in Romans 4.25 that Jesus was handed over to death for our trespasses, but he was raised to life for our justification. What does that mean? It literally means that the Father happily wants you to know that he raised his son Jesus to get you. He knows he wanted Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting for a moment the Father didn't want his son Jesus. But I'm telling you, the Father raised Jesus from the tomb to raise you from the tomb with him. That's how much the Father loves you. He loves you that much. He loves you so much. Just let the love of, of the Father the love of the Son, and the love of the Holy Spirit so sink into your heart right now. So sink into your heart. You are greatly loved by God. Everywhere you go now, you bring the God of love with you. You're one with His person. You carry His presence. You manifest His power. When you walk this world starting today, right now, 
Please don't ever forget, with the Holy Spirit's help, this image. When I was a police officer 30 years ago in England, I discovered something really important. I want you to imagine I arrest a person stealing the silver candlestick from a church. I run after that young man with the candlestick, silver candlestick. I tackle him in the middle of a field. I bring him down. And then I say to him, wait there, young man, until I go and bring the Queen of England and she is going to arrest you. And I run all the way to Buckingham Palace, 200 miles away. I knock on the door. They let me in. I knock on the Queen's bedroom. I say, good evening, your majesty. I bow humbly before her. And she says, what are you doing here in the middle of the night? Your majesty, I'm here because I, I, I caught a man, but I want you to come and arrest him because all my authority comes from you. She will press the button and have me removed, not just from Buckingham Palace, but from my uniform. Because that is not walking in the authority that I've been given. The authority that I have as a pad, as a police officer, was from Her Majesty the Queen. The uniform was her uniform. The, war, uh, the card in my pocket had her name on it. But I had to exercise that authority as if I was the queen. And I arrested everyone accordingly. I did my job. But do you realize that that is exactly what we're guilty of whenever we're standing in front of somebody who's sick and we ask the God of heaven to come and heal them, please? We have authority in his name. We have his power. When we say to a demon, get out of that person, they go. If we say, God, could you come and remove them, they stay. It's not just for healing, it's for every business decision. It's for every marital decision. It's for every raising children. Everything. You are now the living headquarters of the Trinity. Start behaving like it and you'll change the world.